0: I really think that this whole notion, especially for Black women, this like strong, independent, resilient, can get through anything, doesn't need any help. Like, I feel like that is just starting to die out. Like, I'm here to have a soft life. Like, I'm not trying to be tough enough. I'm here to show up and be vulnerable. I'm here to be authentic with, with who I am. But I, um, I, I can't have up those walls that I used to have up because society said that's what I'm supposed to do. I need to be able to show up as imperfect and ask for help Um, because just because society says that I don't deserve it doesn't mean I'm not going to ask for it and doesn't mean I'm not going to demand it because things are not going to shift until I say this is what we're doing now and this is what I deserve. This is what I've earned.
1: The Grow Dialogue podcast is a liberation project that explores equity, inclusion, belonging, conflict resolution and culture in the workplace and beyond including in our personal relationships, families, and communities. Each week, my co-host, Mariella Marie, and I will bring you insightful guest interviews and artistic expressions curated to amplify emerging voices who are sharing practices that support society's transition to a more collaborative, just, sustainable, and liberating coexistence. We live during a time when divisiveness and polarization dominate the social, economic, and political discourse. In response to this reality, and empowered with the skills of authentic dialogue and systems thinking, I created an anti-oppression framework for social sustainability called Theory of Indivisibility to help illuminate a different path forward. Our hope is that these conversations and calls to action will ignite tolerance and empathy and provide guidance for our global listeners who want to actively engage in ending all forms of oppression while creating thriving relationships in the workplace and beyond. I'm Dr. Sunjata Sunjata. Let's grow dialogue. Thank you for being here with me today, Noel. I'm really excited to share your story and share your corporate journey um, along with your personal journey with, with the Grow Dialogue podcast audience. And to get started, I want to ask you a question or the question of who are you? How would you define yourself?
0: Okay, well, first, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to have this conversation. So who am I? Um, it's super multifaceted. I'm from uh, the DC area, um, which definitely feels like home for me, but I live here out in Nashville. Um, but at my core, I'm somebody who is dedicated to impacting change. Um, I'm somebody who has been spending my entire career trying to find ways where people can feel like they can be their best selves where they spend the most amount of time, which is at work. Um, So a little bit of background about me. Um, I spent most of my career working in operations, um, just kind of working in the background. With my background, always working in company culture, always seeing where there was some gaps. And I just kind of have this space where people could come to me with their problems. So I would um, notice things like microaggressions and things that were happening in the Place and I would make suggestions and do research and try to do little changes, which brought me into the DEI work that I was in, um, that I'm in now. But prior to that, I was working in ops in uh, for a pest control company and the money was really good. I didn't have a degree. I was making great money anyway, and it just seemed like, all right, I can keep doing this. And I was somebody who really enjoyed complaining. That was my jam. I was the person that would have something to say about every customer that called through. It was fun for me. Um, and when that, when complaining became a part of my personality, I became really sick. I got a brain tumor. Oh, and wow with that brain tumor, um, the medication that it had me on, it made it very difficult for me to be able to speak. So for the first time, all that complaining that I was putting out, I couldn't even put it out. I had to be very, very thoughtful about the words that I was, was saying because speaking was so difficult. And it was the same with reading i had to be really intentional about what i was going to read because reading was also difficult with me because of the medication i was on um eventually i needed to have brain surgery and i felt all better which is wonderful but um after that experience i realized that i didn't want to spend my life just making a paycheck. I wanted to be able to make a difference. I don't like being somebody who's known for complaining all the time. Um, So I started working for nonprofits and I started, you know, keeping that operational background, but like working in organizations where I felt like we're actually doing something. Um, I've worked in companies that were shipping out human organs and um, working in Medicare and working in spaces that felt like it really didn't matter. Um, This um, kind of brought me to a place where I, realized that 70% of people didn't love their jobs. That's the statistics. 70% of people actually hate their jobs. So I started a interview company so I can help people get into roles where they can work in the companies that they really do like. And then I realized that wasn't the issue. It's the companies that need to change. So all of this really brought me into the DEI space where I am today, where I can help organization by organization make these tiny shifts and it isn't just the way that they impact people on the inside, it's what they put outside. And these are like the ads that we're seeing and the products that are out there and the representation that we see. Um, all of this really stems from having a really strong core when it comes to inclusion. Um, so having any part of that, it means so much to me.
1: Wow, that's that's an amazing journey. And you know, it, it shows just how our, how life can kind of take us through certain certain twists and turns to help us to get closer to, you know, our purpose. Um, so I, I appreciate that background and, and kind of a trajectory on how you moved uh, into the diversity, equity, inclusion space. Um, so I want to I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into like who you are personally in terms of how you would define yourself uh, beyond the person who is in DEI spaces. Mm-hmm. who would you say Noel is
0: um i'm a mother i am somebody who enjoys and like adventure wherever i can find it um i enjoy empowering other people so um i kind of see myself as you know, always kind of walking into who my higher self is, which I've named the Empress. Like, what does the Empress need? What what would she do? And like, that is ultimately who I'm always walk, working towards. It's somebody who's at peace, um, and somebody who can impact other folks, um, in a way that feels organic to who I am. So I've, I feel like who I am is is constantly shifting with. With what is going on in the world, um, but at my my core, I'm a storyteller, I'm a mother, and I'm a change maker.
1: Awesome storyteller, mother, and change maker. So, as a storyteller, can you share? Is there a certain theme that you like to tell stories about, uh, particularly?
0: Um, So when I'm doing my work, I talk a lot about um, anything where I can push myself under the bus, um, where I've made mistakes to kind of show people that, you know, we're all getting this together. We're all figuring out bias. Uh, So one of the stories that I tell folks is um, with thinking about like pausing before you have a difficult conversation with somebody was a time that I was getting off of an airplane and in Atlanta, and everybody was really pissed off. <laughs> and there was an older white woman who was screaming at three black flight attendants. And I couldn't hear what she was saying, but I could see she was upset. And I could see that the flight attendants were frustrated. Uh, but the only thing I did hear was the older white woman say, you know what? The only problem here is the three of them are black. So I jumped in, I called the woman a racist. I said this, what she's saying was unacceptable. Like I was here to save the day, I put my cape on. And she mm-hmm. goes, no, my three black bags are missing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ooh. you know, so like I share stories like that, that to kind of show like, listen, like this is the work that I do every day and mm-hmm. I'm making mistakes. So if I'm right. making mistakes, give yourself a little, little grace doesn't mean that we can't pivot and make things better but um sharing sharing those kind of stories are important to me i also really love to do um i I write stories and i'll sometimes i'll share those um um open mics and um that's always fun too
1: okay i love it i love it i love how you are able to you know um have a level of humility and not afraid to share that you know you can make mistakes we all have blind spots we all make assumptions Um, you know, and but through the unpacking and the communicating we can, you know, continue to move forward continue to evolve. None none of us are finished you know, that's kind of, you know, one of the the themes I'm I'm getting from you you know, right from the jump in terms of you saying that you're ever evolving, you know, ever learning, ever growing and changing Um, and as we know, the only constant in this life, well, one of the only constants in this life is change Um, so so I appreciate that and it definitely resonates. So I want to know Do you feel like I want to I want you to answer this question personally and professionally, Okay. Um, so let's start personally, do you feel like you have to wear a mask in your day to day life.
0: Um, I wouldn't say that I need to wear a mask I think that's something I used to do but now I just don't have the patience for it Um, professionally or personally I just don't but. I do know in order to communicate with different groups, there may be some adjustments that I make, and it's all who I am. It's not a... um, something that's pretend, but like the way that I speak to my grandparents is going to be very different than the way that I talk to my best friends. The way I talk to my best friends is going to be different than um, when I'm working with an executive at at Google. It, it is different, but I'm still bringing my organic self to these conversations, um, but the tone is going to be filtered in. It's still going to be um, me where there's a lot of light in the work that I do, um, but with what I feel, where I feel the most comfort, it's going to shift. Um, but I think that life is way too short to be wearing masks. I know a lot of folks are kind of forced to, but for me, I find that that is so heavy. Um, and not wearing a mask has been one of the things that have been um, that people really, really recognize me for. Like I'm starting to embrace being um, neurodivergent. And so when I share with, um, you know, somebody's reading me a paragraph that they saw online and they're like, hey, what do you think about this? I just like, hey, like, I actually can't process that. I don't. I, I need to read it because when you're saying it out loud i'm not able to catch everything that you're getting and there was a time that i would have to put on this um make believe like i think i caught every other word let me just summarize what i think that they, they said um right. i'm not doing that anymore that's not fun for me i'm struggling with this and i'm gonna let you know that this is i i, I i'm challenged in this way um so i'm gonna need a little bit of grace and that's just been so freeing to me to just be able to be transparent with people and saying what I'm, what what's comfortable for me, what isn't.
1: Whew, that's 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 powerful. I love that. Uh, I, I love that. Um, that that slight difference in something that I think that we we kind of I've noticed in myself, and I've noticed in others, like we have this tendency to want to. I don't know just i think it goes back to always wanting to be right and always showing up that you know we have to be like perfect and right and on par with everything and it didn't always feel safe to say we didn't know something or we didn't understand something because i think you know when i think about that for myself it reminds me of you know schooling it's like in school we got good grades for being right you know the whole idea was you had to be right and I think in a lot of ways that I was raised as well, there was this expectation that I would, you know, um, present to the world what a level of, of excellence and, and what all that meant. And again, showing flaws just wasn't a part of, you know, the norm. Even if the flaws existed, we figured out ways to hide or mask them, you know, using that term, right? Mask, (laughs) wearing a mask. Whereas what I, what I hear you saying is that you've come into a place where you realize that you know you don't have to mask not knowing because in reality no one knows everything right we need right. that's why we need each other to complement one another where you're weak i'm strong where i'm strong you may be weaker and we can complement each other and you know basically what i hear is like just being able to show up in any different space as your full self you know showing your full humanity um and the, the example you just gave um and how your neurodivergence uh manifests uh, I think it's a very powerful example, so I really appreciate you sharing that.
0: yeah yeah I, I really I really think that this whole notion, especially for black women, this like strong, independent, resilient can get through anything, doesn't need any help. like I feel like that is just starting to die out. like I'm here to have a soft life. like I'm not trying to be tough enough. I'm here to show up and be vulnerable. I'm here to be authentic with with who I am, but i um I, I can't have up those walls that I used to have up because society said that's what I'm supposed to do. I need to be able to show up as imperfect and ask for help. Um, because Just because society says that I don't deserve it doesn't mean I'm not going to ask for it and doesn't mean I'm not going to demand it because things are not going to shift until I say, this is what we're doing now and this is what I deserve, this is what I've earned.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Do you have any other examples top of mind in ways that you feel like you may have used to wear a mask that you've shifted away from?
0: Um Yeah. Um, so parties. Um, I I enjoy spending time with people. I'm I'm an introvert, but you can really put me anywhere and I'll make a friend and it'll be fine. But um, I'm okay now with saying I'm I'm ready to go, which is something I didn't used to be able to do. Uh, So for example, went to a party where they had um, they said it's a game night. I'm thinking we're going to do Pictionary or categories or whatever. Like, I think that we're going to do something more interactive. They want to play like something that's like um, Dungeons and Dragons. And they start telling me all the rules and I'm like, you know what? I'm good at a lot of things. I'm not good at this. So y'all have fun and I'm going to leave. And there was, there was no way that I would have done that before. I would have really felt forced to pretend that I'm having a really good time because I was invited and I needed to be grateful. And would this person still be my friend if, if I leave during this moment, because it's hard as an adult to make friends, but being able to say like I Actually, no i'm not having any fun not only did i leave but other people left too mm, okay. <laughs> um because it just wasn't going to be fun for everyone and it's like why pretend it's life is too short for that so i think it's like just showing up and being like this is what i'm able to do this is what i like this is where my zone of genius is versus where i'm excellent versus where i'm not competent like i i'm gonna just keep it you know honest with y'all
1: right right and also a theme that I hear I feel like I hear you saying or what's coming up for me underlying everything you're saying is that you know even within our areas that we are not proficient, you know that doesn't take away from our genius. It doesn't take away from our ability to have a positive impact in the spaces that we're in. you know it doesn't take it take away from our ability to do the job you know that we're called to do um, in, 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 a, in a very effective way. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have to be perfect to do, to, you know, to show up and, and do those things. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, it's a very important message and I, I like to go a little bit deeper around neurodivergence. Can you explain, um, if, if you're comfortable, um, cause I think that, you know, that's a term that has come into my awareness, I would say probably within the last mm, four years, five years or so, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, first came about and, um, I think that and I've noticed that more and more people are embracing the the areas where you know they they they're neurodivergent Mm -hmm. Um, is can you lay any or give us any context around like what that means to you and and how you have discovered that about yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so being neurodivergent just, um, you know, simply means that I'm not neurotypical, um, or I don't, I don't think the way that everybody else thinks cognitively, I'm different than, than other folks. Um, so for me, I have dyscalculia, which is like dyslexia, but with numbers. Um, but beyond that, it's, um, you know, being assigned to do a spreadsheet and like actually having a panic attack, because I don't think that I'm going to be able to do it and needing to, Um, figure out using lots of different tools in order to get anything that needs to be oriented with numbers done. But it also means having really hard time with time management, Um, having um, to process details a lot different. um, where I have to see the big picture and take things at a slower pace than maybe some other folks. Um, And then also having ADHD. Um, My son has ADHD. He also has tics um, that are um, in the neurodivergent kind of family. And I think that one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is because people are forced to be at home a lot, um, they're starting to get to know themselves a little bit better. And they're recognizing like, have I always struggled with this? And has this always been so challenging? Or I'm, you know, t- I'm starting to talk to people in A lot of people were finding out that they had ADHD through TikTok, um, which is like an app that they weren't going to spend time on, but because they're at home, they're kind of like forced to listen to other people's stories. And then when they hear, wait, I do that too. That's not normal. Um, it really makes people need to investigate and maybe get some testing done. So okay. that's just kind of, you know, adding a little color to being neurodivergent to
1: yeah yeah so would you is that how you found out Did you find out later in life like through social media connecting with other people who explain that they um you know interact in the world in these ways or have certain uh struggles is that kind of how you came into this unpersonal understanding
0: Yeah, I definitely found out about it later in life, but I always knew that there was something that was wrong because I've always felt like I was very bright and I could test really well. I did excellent in my SATs, I would nail all of my tests, but school was so challenging for me, so much so that I wasn't able to complete college because I had to do something that was math or statistics oriented and it would be so challenging for me, I just couldn't get it done Um, so. Before I would see myself as this person that was not um, very smart um, and maybe just like um, uh, uh, good at kind of like figuring things out and, and, you know, to to, to squeak on by, but now I kind of see that person as someone who, who, you know, was incredibly innovative to to be able to pull myself through high school because that was so incredibly challenging and uh, not needing to repeat any classes or, or do any of that. Like it really was hard work. And like, that's impressive um, to not have the tools that people who get diagnosed as children um, end up having. Um, I find that a lot of people, especially people of color um, are resistant to get testing um, because you know of stigma. And it's incredible incredibly freeing. So it, I was um, older when I found out about this this I was like in my mid twenties, um, but ADHD, that's a newer revelation for me because, um, the traits of ADHD in women, um, looks different than what we typically see as ADHD. Like I'm not somebody who's normally bouncing off the walls, but some things that I was associating with anxiety, um, and, uh, and what I was perceiving as laziness was actually, um, ADHD.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm of the belief that everyone is, is, I don't believe in typical, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I really, I really feel like, and I don't have any, you know, data on this, but just from me observing the world and observing places and spaces and being really in tune uh, to, to how people interact and, and move through the move through the world um i really think that there's divergence you know as i think divergence is the norm if that makes sense in any way um i just think we all show up different ways for different reasons and you know i believe that through it all we're designed to to complement one another again like i said before um you know we're not all supposed to be proficient in everything and um you know, I I think that your story is just, again, it's a testament to even with those challenges, like you said, you were able to, you know, figure out a way through, you know, make a way through and figure out and carve out, uh, you know, first finishing school, and then, you know, carving out a a career for yourself, um, you know, in the corporate world. So moving moving into into that, um, I, I noticed just from taking a look at your, you know, your LinkedIn that you are in the dei space as a as a as a job title uh, but also you have a company um that does dei you know work and you know um based on your experience how, how would you describe the state of uh corporate culture as it relates to equity inclusion and belonging today
0: um, I think it depends on the organization and like in the industry, I feel like some or some some places are further along than others. I feel like there was a major push. I mean, DEI has been around since the 60s, right? So there's always been this desire to and un- like, like understanding that diversity is important has been clear has been clear, but it's really been in the last five years that we're seeing Inclusion needs to come before diversity. People really need to feel like they belong, um, or it's just it's not going to work. Um, I think there was a major a major push for all DEI stuff after George Floyd, which made you know sense. Um, but there was a lot of commitment and you know black boxes and you know all these kind of performative actions, um, and companies had start to lay off about a, a little bit um but i think what's surprising them is that they're now getting called out for that Mm -hmm. um and also there is a lot of groups that are coming together that are saying like i'm not this is unacceptable um like when i think of the disability community um there's been um, and i'm not sure if your audience knows this but websites are considered a place so if you're in the united states your website has to be ada compliant so that people with all different disabilities can use your website and if it isn't you can be sued because your website isn't compliant um so those lawsuits have been going through the roof and they should be because people are starting to call folks out more Um, so i think that in this society where people are a little less afraid of confrontation and we have um you know the zoomers who are I love them. I think as a generation, they're incredible and they call stuff out the way that they see it. Um, and they have demands from corporations to, you know, it's it's while salary is really important, these elements of feeling like they belong, these um, having an actual work life balance, like I think that we are moving towards a place um, that's going to look a little bit more European when it comes to work life balance um but I think that when I take a look at global trends we are ahead when it comes to the initiatives that are being taken when with um equity and inclusion is in the forefront
1: okay and and when you say look a little more European you're speaking to like European countries that have um just better work life balance policies
0: yeah, and I, I and I shouldn't even say European because I feel like it's almost everywhere besides the United States. I think that Canada um, and England both ha- also have some issues when it comes to work-life balance, from just a little bit of research that I've been doing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the like American culture, that's like hustle culture, is dead, mm-hmm. um, and I think that a lot of people are kind of um, moving away from that. So we see in other countries, it's like you know taking a real PTO and not being at work while you're um, where you're supposed to be on vacation um, and leaving when it's the end of the day, as opposed to continuing to work throughout the night, just because you, um, you know, you work remotely or you have a work computer. Um, so I think that we're starting to see a shift on what people are saying, like, this is acceptable and this isn't acceptable.
1: Absolutely, okay. So. One of the things, you know, um, our company Grow Dialogue, we're in the DEI space, we're in the corporate culture space, and, um, you know, one of the things that's been frustrating for me is, you know, having conversations with organizations and realizing that they aren't necessarily willing to do the deep work to really create systems um, for, for equity and inclusion. Uh, beyond, like you said, some of the checking the box, um, you know, efforts. And um, I want to know: Have you experienced any of that in your in your work as a you know as a consultant and you know just being an employee who does DEI work?
0: Yeah. Um, so as in as a business owner, I don't take those clients anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I have turned down incredible deals um, because it was very clear to me. That there's a huge issue with racism that they don't want to fix or a huge issue with um, transphobia that they don't want to touch. Um, and I'm not doing that um, in my own business as an employee when I I, I do see some of the, those things happen. Um, but it's I, I have to call organizations out for it or what am I doing? Um, so the approach is always, you know first like saying trying to appeal to like the human centric like this is problematic for these reasons this is how it makes people feel um but that doesn't always work for some um for some leaders so you have to be like I don't know how how soon you're looking to get on the news because if you don't think that your employees won't get onto social media get onto TikTok get onto Glassdoor and blast you they will and I also don't know how much you love being sued but like people are Mm -hmm doing and they're not playing games this isn't going to get any easier so if you would like to stay out of the headlines treat people right um so it should never really come to that point but that is something that I have to let people know um you know I'll say hey yeah um I know that you don't want to work on this issue but I also noticed that you had some employees on on TikTok that shared that uh email that you sent over oh my gosh I can't believe it mom it's out there so mm-hmm. what are you going to
1: do? Sure, sure. Uh-huh. Okay, so how do you feel about the fact that um, like corporations are like the battleground for what's happening? Let's say the shining a light on just the inequities, the the oppressions that exist in society um, that it seems like you know the corporate space is the area where that battle is being fought the most is getting the most uh, attention. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that's um, the right approach for those of us who are aware of these inequities in our in our world? Um, should corporations have to bear the brunt of of all of this?
0: Um, yes and no. I think that it's really important that people are having the kind of conversations that they're having at work and have them at home. Um, so whenever I do trainings focused on having difficult conversations, I always make sure to have those elements um, at home too because. Like, it's not just your boss that's the issue. It's your uncle, it's your mom. It's like all these other people. So you need to be able to have these conversations at home as well. Um, But I also recognize that for a lot of folks, we spend more time with our coworkers than we do with our own families, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what your situation is. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that there's a lot of focus on what equity looks like in those spaces. Um, But I think that it isn't, a DEI practitioner's job to make an organization be like a social justice running machine. I don't think that that really makes sense for every business model. but in order to keep people, I think that that, that belonging really needs to be the center of, of things. Um, I think that for ideally justice would be, but I don't think that most organizations can or have the bandwidth for it, but they can make sure that everyone feels like they belong. They can make sure that people have what they need to do their job well. Um, not that we're all best friends and it's kumbaya, it needs to be a place where folks can, can work. So I love that it's, um, that they are taking, um, that they are being called out or called in, um, about this sort of thing. Um, but I feel like, um, I want to see some more of these conversations happening for folks outside of, um, the workspace.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say, I I agree. It's a two-pronged approach indeed. Um, you know, I've definitely been that person at Thanksgiving, like cringing, you know, at the things that my family members say, and, you know, I've been one to speak up at times and make them uncomfortable because I'm like, you know, that's, that's just not right. What you're saying is, is, is very, um, offensive, you know, quite frankly. And I I know that takes courage, you Mm -hmm. know, to, to speak up and speak out. But, um, like you said, I think more and more of us, um, are, are, are getting that courage. And I think that you know, by corporations investing in this work. Um, it's helping their, you know, their, their, their people. It's empowering their people and also potentially giving their people language um, to go out and have those conversations in their communities, their family community, their neighborhoods communities. And, um, you know, I think that corporate America, you know, it, it, it takes and takes, not even just America, let's take corporations globally. You know it takes and takes so much from from people in terms of effort and and you know time and labor that um you know for them to invest back into people and back into communities by you know bringing in practitioners like yourself um you know to empower and and give people the skills and the language i think that it's only right that they do so mm-hmm. um so it's it's interesting for me to observe it um, but at the same time, I, I realize how how prevalent, like you said, um, work is in our lives and that, that we spend so much time um, in those places and spaces. So um, hopefully it's disseminating across you know out from the from the job into you mm-hmm. know into those those family conversations, yeah. et cetera like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned um, belonging being you know like the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So what are some tips you could give? You know anyone listening to this who you know works for a corporation uh they may have a dei role uh they may not but they're interested in, in understanding you know some things they could do to foster more belonging in the workplace are there any like quick tips you can share
0: um you have to know what belonging means to other people um because it looks different for different folks um so i know people are tired of surveys but they do make a difference where we can get kind of a poll on what people, um, how people feel about belonging, what they feel like they need to feel like they belong. Um, So those conversations need to happen and then they need to happen in other groups. So I really do like having a group of people that are um, in smaller circles where we're focused maybe on identity or teams and we're asking them questions about belonging where we can kind of have a, um, like a round circle where folks can uh, share their feelings around that and then take some of those actions. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that organizations make is that they start taking taking steps and making all these initiatives and it's things that people don't necessarily want. Um, so uh, like one of the, uh, an example of this is folks that'll say, okay, well, you know, it's Black History Month and we know that our Black employees want to do something. So let's get Keisha to, you know, share her thoughts about Black History Month um, next week. Is that what Keisha wants? Mm -hmm. You know, or does she say that it's weird that we haven't talked about Black History Month? Um, It doesn't. So like asking the questions of what's actually needed is really imperative to see like what belonging truly feels like and looks like.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I would like to know, like, what is your vision um, for the future as it relates to corporate culture?
0: I mean, the North Star is that DEI is not even needed, really, like, that's ideal. It's just that all this is just common Um, sense and is simple and everything is systematized. And, um, you know, I'm somewhere running a tech company and on a boat like that's what the ideal is. Um, But there is so much work that needs to be done in the meantime. So I think more practically, it's companies having a going beyond the basics. Like I no longer have conversations with people on why DEI is important. If we're still doing that, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not the practitioner for you. Um, So the hope is that 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 foundation is laid across industries and the companies that don't that they're continued to call to be called out about it. Um, If you are just learning that diversity is going to help with innovation and people working better together like that's news to you, you got some work to do and that work needs to get done ahead of hiring somebody else, in my opinion.
1: Awesome, thank you. So to close things out, the last question that I would like to ask um, is actually interesting because you're a storyteller and we like to bring story into the themes um, that we're putting out this season. So are you able to share a story that has inspired you and or your work?
0: A story that has inspired me or my work? Um, yes. Um, so this is, this is national news, um, but it's, it's family news as well. Um, my, my brother, this is, um, some years ago now, um, he was a, uh, veteran, um, with PTSD that went to move to California to take care of his friend who was paralyzed from the chest down due to an IED. So he, he went there to take care of him. And one day when he was walking home from a grocery store, um, there was two men with guns, um, or, or sorry, there was two men that were um, I don't know what they were doing. They're getting some kind of altercation my brother. They just came out of a place that they were robbing. Like it was just a mess. And um, my brother shot out two warning shots of them. And then when they kept coming at him, he defended himself. Nobody died. But my brother, when he was arrested, was looking at $2 million for the, for the um, bail amount um and again nobody died those two guys went on to commit crimes very soon after that Uh, um he was also put in um while he was in jail waiting for um his trial which took three years he spent 16 months in solitary confinement um and they never were able to give a reason as to why um so during that time there was a huge shift in my family on like what our priorities really were and working to support veterans is really important to me and working to fight against solitary confinement is important to me but um bringing up like you don't always think that things like this will happen like you don't know what's going to happen in your own family, like you, you assume that it wouldn't come from a good family. And yes, I know this is a problem in the black community, but you know, my family is so affluent and and we're so recognized in the community and all these different things. It does not matter. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who had to go to work every day, knowing this and feeling like I had to keep things to myself because of the judgment that would happen if other people knew it, I don't want anyone to ever feel that way. My goal is to make sure that people don't feel like they have to wear a mask, whether they're using AAVE at work, whether they have to walk with a cane at work, um, whether they feel like they need to pivot and in, in just saying who they are. Nobody should have to do that. And so I felt like I had to keep so much to my chest because my place of work wasn't going to um, be thoughtful in the way that they reacted with it. Um, so it's important for me to kind of do my work to see that that shifts for other people and also bring justice to the situation that my brother had gone through so that nobody else has to.
1: Wow. Wow. What a what a powerful story. And ooh, um, it, yeah, it's, it just brings up in just another way that, you know, suffering takes place in, in, in our society. Mm-hmm. Um People suffer in, in a lot of unfair ways, and you know, um, I, I, I I hate knowing that. Um, wow! So thank you, thank you for sharing that story, and you know, sending lots of love and light to your family as you. you know your brother. You know, because I know that there's a lot. You know, just the, the trauma. You know, he already had the PTSD from from serving, and now mm-hmm. I I can imagine a PTSD that came from from that experience. So, um, yeah, thank thank you for sharing that, and, and I'm hoping that you your work and and by shedding light on this and and others who are working in this area, um, will will again relieve relieve yeah. um, that for others in the future, so they don't have to experience that.
0: Thank you, I appreciate um, that.
1: Yeah. So I, I appreciate this time, you know, that we've had together. I appreciate you, you know, sharing your story uh, with our listeners and and shedding some light on some of the challenges as a DEI practitioner. Uh, that you faced as well as some of the solutions and, and how you're kind of navigating this time and space, um, you know, as, as we're out here doing this work and trying to make, you know, the workplace as well as our families and communities more equitable and inclusive so that everyone feels like they belong, um, you know, and that we don't have to wear a mask and, you know, we can show up as our most authentic selves in every context. Uh, so just thank you for the work that you continue to do. Uh, so important, um, you know, so I'm glad that you're out there doing this work as well. And is there is there any way that you would like to share with our listeners that they can follow you um, and your work?
0: Yeah, um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm um, Noelle C. Johnson on LinkedIn. And you can also follow me on TikTok. I'm at your DEI trainer on TikTok.
1: Awesome. We'll be sure to add that to the show notes. And I hope that you, um, you know, continue to make a positive impact in the world in the ways that you've already been doing. So for all of the listeners, uh, we appreciate you so much for for continuing to go on this journey with us and listening to the Grow Dialogue podcast. And until next time, I love y'all. Peace.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Dialogue podcast.
1: Remember to join our Grow Dialogue community to continue the conversation, activate authentic dialogue, and to get exclusive content, discounts, and special offers on curated artwork and music from independent artists from the Americas. Check out our show notes for more info and visit www.growdialogue.com to join our live events. Don't forget to support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support.